Hey guys, how are you doing? It is Thursday night, and I know this is a surprise live session that I wasn't planning on doing, but something has come up. And so I'm doing a special live presentation tonight to somewhat re-encourage folks to come to the Mormon Stories podcast on Tuesday, May 10th at 5 p.m. Mountain Time in the United States, where I will do an overview of the Joseph Smith papyri. But I just received some new information tonight, and I am very excited and interested in sharing that with you. Because the apologetic continuation of the confusion concerning the papyri continues. And so I wanted to do a special live session tonight to kind of keep you all upgraded, to let you know my impressions of the absolute most recent apologetic, which just came out just Today, I got my copy of this, and so I want to share this, and I also want to reiterate I'm going to be on Mormon Stories this Tuesday. Sunday, I'm going to continue discussing Paul Osborne's Egyptology, etc. I just received my brand new copy, May-June for 2022, of LDS Living. Now, this little gal, she is a world-class quilter. My wife learned lots of materials from her, so it's a great write-up on her, uh, and she is LDS. But there is this book of Abraham answers, and I was real curious. I asked myself, wait, um, hey, Richard Heath, did I win? Yes, you did win. You are the first to comment. This is a special live session that I just did because of this living LDS living issue. So thank you for showing up. Good to talk to you. Carrie Molstein has this article in the LDS living. My journey into the book of Abraham. And he had it's just a couple of pages of article. Uh, it's a fluff piece. It is much more, boy, my hair is flying all over the place. It's much more of a faith-promoting issue than it, it's a faith-promoting article. And I really feel, hey, Huff Daddy, how you doing? And I am just going to discuss some of the issues. I'm not going to go the full hour and a half tonight, I don't think, because as you can see, I've got, I'm practicing for my Mormon stories, and I have my visuals, and I'm trying to arrange my visuals, so. But this Carrie Molstein article, brand new out, is too good to lose. And he talks again. Here's this issue that the apologists have gone on to producing every time they write, and I am calling them on their bluff. I don't buy into this at all, and neither should anyone else. I think they are deliberately doing this because deep down, 
This man, Kerry Molstein, even though he poses with a really cool picture with him and the papyri, I think he knows that the Joseph Smith translation is false of the papyri. And the apologists' tactic, look, they've had these materials for over 50 years, and they have failed to clarify. So the rest of us are going to. Dan Vogel has been clarifying. Paul Osborne has been clarifying. Brent Metcalf, Bill Reel, RFM, Radio Free Mormon, The Backyard Professor. There's a whole slew of us now who have been clarifying, and we are going to continue because that is what is called for. And little fluff faith-promoting pieces like Molstein's don't cut the mustard. He doesn't get into a whole lot of detail at all. He's just basically doing a glossy overgeneralization, and I'm going to call his bluff tonight. I want to be the first one to comment on this brand new article. He begins by saying, researching in the book of Abraham is difficult. It's not an easy thing to do, but I love doing it so much that it's no longer difficult for me to do. However, you do need to begin to learn several ancient languages. You need to familiarize yourself with archaeology. You need to... the. You want to research the book of Abraham comprehensively, you are going to need to acquire skills and knowledge in multiple ancient languages in at least two phases of ancient history in two regions of the ancient world. You will also need to understand ancient symbolism and semiotics. And you will have to understand 19th century general history and church history and in the historical method, as well as knowledge of dozens of theories about how the book of Abraham came to be. He says that on page 59 in his article, and I say pure hokum. You don't need any of that. You really don't. I don't have that. I don't have a PhD. Heck, I don't even have a master's degree. And I understand the book of Abraham perfectly well. This is a tactic of the apologists. Hey, Joshua Kelly, welcome. Hey, Teresa Pittman. Good to see you. Who else is here? Huff Daddy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I have, Huff Daddy. I have been beating the Book of Abraham, and I'm not done yet. Gerardo just contacted me the other night, and he came up with yet another extensive angle that I had not considered before. And he gave me his experience with this angle from his religion classes at BYU. Idaho in Rexburg and what the religion teachers are showing the kids there. Oh man, I've got a whole nother brand new series of excellent materials to do. And it's going to involve Freemasonry and Joseph Smith and the book of Abraham 
and the temple endowment. And I am really excited to continue on. There is a lot of material to cover because of all this knowledge. But the apologists are making it more difficult than it actually is. They are also confusing the issue much more than it really should be. There is complexity. There's no question about that. But it is not of the depth or caliber of complexity to near impossibility to grasp for all of us regular humans that the apologists are trying to make it out to be. For instance, we know that there are four different folios of manuscripts in the Kirtland Egyptian papers. That This is the papers Joseph Smith and his scribes were working in, in translating an Egyptian alphabet, producing a grammar, and then there's a, an analysis of that grammar, and then there is the translation of the Book of Abraham. Think of those folios as just different folders, four different folders in manila envelopes, or just think of them as computer files, four different computer files. Well, there's going to be a greater complexity with four folders than there is with two, right? But that doesn't mean it's confusing. That doesn't mean all of a sudden we have to start giving 15 years of research before we can have clarity. I absolutely object to that Mormon apologetic tactic. It is pure baloney. Don't believe it. And I will show why on Mormon Stories Tuesday night. I will give a full bird's eye overview of all of it and the relationships. So there is no reason to accept this premise of the Mormon apologists. They're desperate. That's, that's my interpretation. I agree. That is my interpretation. But they really are desperate. Hey, Lashram32, how you doing? Welcome. Flat Pat, welcome. So he says, he goes on to show, and of course, he's got a, he's got a nifty little timeline, and he's trying to look scholarly, and then he's got several different pictures, and of course, he's got the papyri and the hypocephalus. You can never ignore that. So it beguiles the people into thinking that this guy really knows what he's talking about. Kerry Mulstein knows enough to confuse the issue unnecessarily and yet turn around and overgeneralize everything so that he can give a faith-promoting description. That's all this piece in the magazine LDS Living is. For those of you who just got here, LDS Living, the brand new issue, I just got mine today, Mulstein is giving too much of a faith promotion. And in that regard, that's what I want to address because it's simply not accurate. And this is so unfortunate. Here's the deal. He knows better. He's not fooling me anymore. I was an apologist once. 
not now, because I've been looking at the evidence myself as a non-PhD, and I am much more clear than Kerry Mulstein is, and he's had access to this stuff for 25 years in his career. It's time to go clear. We are going to hound the apologists to complete, honest, open transparency, clarity, and interrelationship of all the documents. And we're going to hammer it home until they get it and accept it, right? That's what we're going to do. And he says, as a young student, I didn't intend to get into a study of the book of Abraham. I was studying the Hebrew and the Aramaic and all that without even realizing how this would help me in my study of finding out Joseph Smith was an authentic prophet and a very good, true translator. No, it does not. Folks, let's get one thing clear. Sincerely, I mean, this is in as clear and calm and gentle away as I can possibly say it. Hebrew has nothing to do with the Egyptian papyri, okay? Now, it's true, in the middle of translating, translating the papyri, Joseph did send Oliver Cowdery late in 1835 off to find uh, Sykes and a Hebrew teacher and gather some Hebrew materials, and they certainly did begin studying Hebrew. There are no authentic ancient Hebrew parallels in any manner in the papyri that Joseph Smith purchased from Michael Chandler. I want you to grasp that crystal clearly. That is an apologetic piece of nonsense. And I'm calling Kerry Mulstein out on it. He knows better than this. But see, he's trying to show that I am one of those you can trust. I'm a genuine scholar. I've already had my head start on a few of these ancient languages. They really aren't that hard to study. <laughs> if I can do it, you can do it and all that. That's true, but it's not necessary. Isn't it remarkable? And you'll find this with pretty much every... Mormon apologetic commentator these days, isn't it quite remarkable that they continually turn to the Hebrew parallels instead of the Egyptian? But then they turn around, like Molstein here, and say, well, the Egyptian parallels from the ancient Egyptian religion or the ancient Egyptian philosophy, etc., they really do dovetail and coincide pretty close with Joseph Smith's explanations on the facsimiles or with his translation of the papyri. This is simply false. It just is. Joseph Smith does not have ancient Egyptian parallels on the papyri in his view and his translations and his interpretations. Kerry Mulstein knows better. I'm, I'm very sincere here, and he should not. This is just simply a bald-faced farce of an article for him to say stuff like that. But he can overgeneralize, you know, he, he's talking to the little old gray-haired ladies in Mormonism, and so he thinks he can get away with that, right? 
that's the issue that's coming up, right? So I uh, hope every, hey, Lashram, Lashram and Huff Daddy, you're going at it. Yeah, way to go, guys. Anyway, to continue on, he says, well, as I became familiar with the Greco-Roman era of Egypt and received more and more inquiries about the book of Abraham, I decided to intensely research the book and became hooked. The Greco-Roman era of Egypt. This is Ptolemaic Egypt. This is approximately 200 B.C. to 50 B.C. The reason the apologists are emphasizing this is because today's Egyptology has demonstrated really fairly conclusively to the point to where absolutely all parties are agreeing to this. This isn't just me trying to make up an argument to get a point up on the Mormon apologists. Even they know this now. And uh, Robert Rittner's book, The Joseph Smith Papyri, a complete edition, has several chapters from several other Egyptologists who have absolutely conclusively demonstrated. And Klaus Baer in 1968 demonstrated this as well. Hugh Nibley agreed with him that the papyri that Joseph Smith purchased was Ptolemaic in dating. That is 200 B.C. approximately to 50 B.C. This is really honestly standard. It was just at this time, actually, when the class of documents, the Book of Breathings, began to be written. I'm trying to find my... I don't have it accessible right now. I'm in such a mess right now getting ready for Tuesday, but... So this particular class of documents, the Book of Breathings, all of them, and we have quite a few dozen of them now, uh, they were all basically produced in that era, the Ptolemaic era, 200 B.C. to 50 A.D., or, or uh, B.C., I mean. And so, of course, Joseph Smith's Book of Breathings, the one he identified as the source of the Book of Abraham, and I found some new material. I know you've been watching my videos, but in increasingly new evidence has come forth now that I'm going to share on Mormon stories. I won't do so tonight because that's not my purpose tonight, but it's very remarkable that Kerry Mulstein says studying the Greco-Roman era is the way to do it. Here's the problem. And of course, Mulstein does not mention this. He can't. And yet he knows that he must. He wouldn't get away with this to get his PhD, you guys. There's no way. He, they wouldn't have given him his PhD had he done it this way in actual college, right? He knows that Joseph Smith himself dated the papyri to Abraham's day. And yes, there are some disagreements about the dating. Um, realistically, it's quite a spread. It used to be uh, from 2000 BC to 1500 BC. 
well, that's, you know, 500 years spread. That's quite a large gap, right? Uh, we basically essentially got it narrowed down to where we're safe and comfortable saying between 1700 and 1600 BC. And that's a generalized dating. I understand that. That It's all fine and well. The point is, Abraham certainly, from Joseph Smith's point of view, wrote his own book then, right? Joseph Smith did claim, and I have lots of evidence for this, truly, that Abraham himself wrote the papyri that Joseph Smith had. This stuff, the papyri, the actual papyri, that was written by Abraham. Well, this papyri is not that old. Kerry Molstein knows all this. And the reason I know he knows all this, because, hang on, I'm going to pull a Kerry shirt on you. I'm going to leave the field, and yet here I am in his article in Approaching Antiquity. Seriously, and I did an entire video on this. It's just so sensational. I keep referring to it because it is that important. Molstein's article on Joseph Smith's biblical understanding, uh, he knows doggone good and well that all of the contemporary witnesses, because they were told by the Mormons who were showing off the papyri and the mummies, he knows that they were all dating it back to Abraham's day. Well, that's a huge problem. Reality does not match what Joseph Smith claimed about the papyri. It's that simple, you guys. Now, I don't have a PhD. Did all of you guys understand that? You know, does it take me showing Hebrew parallels and quoting Aramaic and giving you all kinds of different versions of the Book of the Dead and the coffin texts and the pyramid texts and giving you absolute, you have to study absolutely every single apologetic argument before you can make a claim, etc. No, the evidence is just straightforward. Nobody in Joseph Smith's day thought anybody else but Abraham wrote on that papyri. Why? Because Joseph Smith said so. Now, now see, that's simple. That's just straightforward. That's clear. And I'll demonstrate that conclusively on Tuesday night on Mormon Stories. I've got some great material on that. So, hey, from how you doing, Ford and Gamsey? Good to see you. You guys look like you're having fun. Teresa Pittman, good to see you again. Paul Osborne. Yeah, yeah, it is live, Paul. I'm doing a special live. I apologize. I didn't announce this because I'm doing a very special. You can watch it from the start. I'm doing a very special analysis. I just got my LDS Living magazine today, and Kerry Mulstein has an article, faith-promoting article, on the Book of Abraham for all the little old gray-haired ladies in Mormonism, the chapel Mormons, and I'm, I want to be the very first to make comments on this article and say this faith-promoting pap and pablum, an overgeneralization of Kerry Mulstein, is simply unacceptable with the historical facts, with the Egyptological facts. Truly, there's no question about it. So anyway, uh, what he says, though, uh, this this is just this is 
this is simply unacceptable what Molstein says, and I'm on page 62 for those of you who get LDS living. I purchased a bunch of books of uh, Terrell Givens at Deseret Bookstore here a few months back, and I got enough credit because those books are so gosh dang expensive that they gave me a free subscription of LDS living, <laughs> right? So I look at it. It's fun. Fun, fluff, pap, and pabble. Well, he says, see this, I'll just read it. When I study that book of scripture, now he's talking about the book of Abraham here, and the process of producing it, I repeatedly have encountered ideas and facts that made me sit back and say, wow, only God could make that happen. For example, authentic Egyptian words show up in the text. Authentic ancient place names are there too. Matches between Joseph Smith's explanations of the facsimiles and ancient ideas and practices are sometimes startlingly accurate. Wow! Textual layers that we would expect from an ancient document are present in the text. And I have come to the point where, from an intellectual point of view now, from an intellectual point of view, I find it more difficult to believe that Joseph Smith made up the book of Abraham than to believe that God inspired him. Obviously, the brethren watched him write this, right? Because none of that is actually accurate. None of it. But it sounds so impressive. I mean, textual layers, authentic ancient Egyptian subjects, and they are startlingly similar to what Joseph Smith said. Baloney. <laughs> I mean, I've gotten 14 videos in this series right now showing that can't possibly be true, and I'm going to keep carrying on with it. So it's a little bit, you know, it's too positive. But then what choice does he have? He works at BYU, let's face it. The BYU Mormon apologetic scholars are paid apologists, but they can only come to one conclusion. The brethren will let them. Yeah, I mean, th this is the way it is with these guys. So that whole paragraph, just that's the paragraph that caused me to say, hey, I have to go live right now and be the first to share the silliness of Kerry Mulstein's most recent contribution to this Book of Abraham subject. If it's not a dead horse, then we can't be accused of beating a dead horse, right? So, and then he goes on. I have also seen the hand of God guiding me and others as we investigate the book of Abraham. Okay. <laughs> things have happened. Oh, things have happened. Oh, things have happened. Goodness. Ideas have come. Whoa, ideas have come. Understanding has distilled like the dews of heaven in ways that I can only attribute to God. The doctrines conveyed in the text are profound and incredibly interwoven. Uh, sorry. Sorry, I was reading Molstein. I, 
I mean, you know, is he practicing to be a general authority or something here? That That's not scholarship, right? So technically for LDS living, it's probably not intended to be. This is a faith promoting. This is to let the faithful know, hey, we have answers. We've given answers. We have answers. There's no need to fear anymore, you guys. Everything is fine. It's all good. We have the answers. That's what this article is. And the cold, hard, brutal fact is their answers aren't accurate. None of them, which is really interesting. That's why we keep producing more information on clarifying the issue. Because people like Molstein, who do know better, are still making this too confusing, too overgeneralized. Right? So we are going to simplify. We are not going to be simplistic. We are going to simplify to make it easier to grasp the actual historic reality, which these guys have had 50, 60 years now to do, and they still won't. And that's too bad. The rest of us are stepping forward and we're saying uh, we want clarity and we are stone cold serious. We're going to get it, right? So, and then he goes, like, yada, 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 more about ancient. And then he talks about exhilarating theories. Exhilarating theories. The only reason that the LDS apologists, let's be blunt, let's again, let's be clear. The only reason LDS apologists have so many cotton pick and contradictory and problematic theories that no one else accepts except other Mormon paid apologists at BYU. They're so confusing and contradictory and so numerous is because Joseph Smith's translation turned out to be wrong. And so they have to find a reason why it's wrong. And for him to call this exhilarating theories is an admission in a faith-promoting way that we can't demonstrate to you Joseph Smith translated this correctly because he didn't. But we don't want to put it that way, so we're going to call our stuff exhilarating theories. They're bankrupt. <laughs> In essence, that's what this is, right? So he says, you know, take for example, here we go. This is exciting. This is exhilarating. Are you ready to have your testimony strengthened? Listen to El Doctor Mustin. Take, for example, the theories regarding Joseph Smith's explanations of the three facsimiles. Okay, now this is 2022. I just want to mark that. Carrie Molstein, Mormon Egyptologist. Well, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Egyptologist in 2022 said this about the three facsimiles. And he's been studying Egyptology for 20 years. He's read Rittner. He's read Klaus Baer. He knows what the more what the actual Egyptian translates into. Okay, here's what Kerry Molstein says. Joseph's explanations 
do not completely match modern Egyptological notions. So what exactly do his explanations represent? Are they what an Egyptian who lived during the time the papyri were written would have seen? Or what an ancient Jew would have seen? Or perhaps it's what the specific ancient Egyptian priest who owned the papyri would have seen given his specific religious roles. Or maybe it's something else altogether. There are some astonishing parallels between the interpretations of symbols that some ancient Egyptians may have seen in these drawings and what Joseph Smith said about them. You notice what he's doing? <laughs> None of that. I, I feel like I'm a broken record here, man. Everything this guy says, well, what if it's this? Could be that. Wait, wait, I've got one. What if it's this? How about that? Whoa, what an exhilarating theory. In other words, Joseph Smith didn't get it translated right. So, hey, what about some ancient Jew? Or how about the ancient Egyptians back in Abraham's day? Or maybe, what about, hey, wait, wait, I've got an idea. What about the Egyptians in, in Greco-Roman times? Whoa, what would they have thought? It's all pap and pablum. It's guesswork because they can't face the cold, hard, historical, evidenced facts of what the papyri actually do show us. And so he's fishing. He's throwing jello against the wall to see what sticks. And none of it does. It hits, splats, and slides down to the floor. And he says, but it's exhilarating. Well, maybe he's using different colored jellos. He could be doing green and yellow and red and kind of doing an art piece of pure slop against the window and making a huge mess because that's what his ideas come out to, right? Well, if he wants to find that imp incredibly impressive and faith-promoting, more power to him. We want clarity. But you notice what he's doing here. He is trying to leave the door open so that he can continue to take our eye off the only issue that matters. He wants to go into all of the irrelevant, oh, intriguing theories. The only people who have various variegated contradictory conceptions of the papyri in the translation are the Mormons. To the rest of us, it's straightforward and absolutely crystal clear, right? It's almost as if we're to the point where we can quit reading anything the apologists write because they just keep repeating the same stupid stuff that has been demonstrated to be fundamentally in error. And they're doing it deliberately. So there are also some places 
where Joseph's interpretations don't match as well. Well, at least they've gotten to that point. Michael Rhodes, way back in, in the BYU studies in, what was it, 1987, 1989, so with his, with his uh, article on the Egyptian hypocephaly, he said absolutely every one of Joseph Smith's explanations more or less matched the Egyptians. Well, okay, so... <sighs> they're finally getting a, a smidgen of truth out here, right? But notice how he undoes it. <laughs> Watch this. This is too good to miss. There are also some places where Joseph's interpretations don't match as well. I believe there's convincing evidence that Joseph's explanations could reflect the specific interpretations of the priest who owned facsimile one. Research reveals that this priest would have been interested in the writings of Abraham. Where is he getting this slop? <laughs> wow! That can't possibly be accurate. Holy Toledo. Like I said, you know, if he was going to do this to get his PhD, he wouldn't have it. You know, <laughs> there's no way. Holy cow. Oh, my. Research reveals that this priest would have been interested in the writings of Abraham, as if the Egyptian priests knew about Abraham. <laughs> oh, come on. In Ptolemaic times. He already admitted the papyri dates to Ptolemaic times, right? Holy Toledo. And may have seen symbolism pointing toward Abraham that the average Egyptian would not have seen. Like the sacrifice of Abraham. See, see, he's trying to leave the door open for Joseph Smith's interpretations, and it's all just guesswork. It's all hypothesis and theory. There's absolutely no evidence for it anywhere. But he's not letting the Mormon gray-haired ladies know that, see. He wants to keep the chapel Mormons in the chapel, is what he's doing. That's why this is a faith-promoting piece. At this point, the evidence does not lead perfectly to any single theory regarding Joseph Smith's explanations of the three facsimile, and no theory can perfectly account for all the evidence. And again, he's stone-cold wrong. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> oh, my. Poor Gary Mulstein. In some ways, this is frustrating. No, in every way, this is hilarious to see him fishing about trying to desperately save something of Joseph Smith's translation when none of it's right. That's how this works. So, and the reason he's, of course, see, now he's going to play on the psychology of the chapel Mormons, of those who need a... Uh, a testimony boost, right? So, hey, Mark Crispin, welcome. E from LDS. Good to see you guys. Huh, it would be nice to have some answers we could be confident about. That's why I make videos. Because I really do have 
boatloads of answers that I'm very confident about. So does Paul Osborne. So does Dan Vogel. So does Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon. So does John DeLynn, right? So does all the other Egyptologists. Only the Mormons appear to be confused, of course, because they don't like where the evidence leads, right? That's just the way it is. Don't shoot me. I'm the messenger. I'm just saying it like I want clarity. I'm, I'm going to begin really insisting on that to the apologists. Sincerely, we all should. We should start an internet campaign and say the BYP, the backyard professor, is absolutely adamant about getting clear. Let's have some truthful, honest clarity about the papyri. I think we could all do that. I think we could all make that happen. I believe this movement is already beginning. I'm just willing to truly be one of the major spearheaders for clarification of total historic context of the relationships of all the documents. And I'm going to tout that hard for the next mere 88 years, truly. And it's going to be fun because there's new materials coming up. I won't keep repeating myself <laughs> unless the apologists do, and they will. <laughs> it's actually not about answering the apologists. It's about coming clear based on the actual evidence. That It's obvious here, isn't it, that Molstein doesn't want to deal with the evidence. He certainly is not interested in the implications of the evidence, <laughs> right? I mean, whoa, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't want to really understand what that means. We want to theorize. We want to throw other stuff out so that maybe we can find more matches. And every one of those are phony. Every one of them. It's kind of pathetic in a way. Seriously. Yet in another way, it is exhilarating that we don't have these answers we can be confident in. See a psychology? Oh, you have questions because of watching the Backyard Professor's videos or listening to, to Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon or, oh, you found a guy named Paul Osborne and read his writings or Dan Vogel's book and you're kind of asking questions and you're wondering, gee, why doesn't all the evidence fit? Well, that can be exhilarating, see? You can still have faith because we have a whole bunch of theories that might maybe possibly refute those guys. But they have to invent their own evidence and they have to ignore Joseph Smith and all of the early Mormon contemporary eyewitnesses. In other words, their approach is not ethically accurate or honest history as such with a total context. They want to pick and choose, take some things out of context, and deliberately misuse some of the evidence in order to help Joseph Smith out. I mean, you know, if any religion is allowed to do that, then absolutely every religion can be considered true.
But of what value would that be, right? That's the issue. See, they don't want to see the full implications here. And so the process of translating the book of Abraham and interpreting the facsimiles deeply involved the divine. <laughs> Catalyst theory, please show up. We are more than ready to give you the fullest implications and you apologists are really not going to be comfortable with that. I so promise. We're ready for it. You see how now they're ignoring Joseph Smith again, who claimed that he translated the characters, he translated the alphabet, he translated the Egyptian monument, the documents that he had. But they want to shift it over into the divine realm. Well, we say, please do. But we'll show you the fullest implications, and it's going to scare you to death. You're not going to like it. So... You know, but this is where he, he's trying to inoculate his audience, isn't he? He's trying to prepare the ground so that now, look, they know, they know they're not fooling us anymore. They know the lost scroll theory is dead. There is no validity to it. It has been wiped out mathematically by Cook and Smith. It has been wiped out Egyptologically by Bear and Rittner. Okay? So they know that one's gone. Now, John Gee spent 30 years of his career pushing that theory, and now they know it's over. So they have to kind of soften people up, try to sort of wean them away from that one, and we've got the real answer finally. You know, here's the 19th theory in our series of exhilarating theories. We've only had 19. We're doing really well. <laughs> only because the evidence doesn't support their wished-for conclusion. Have they come up with all this malarkey, right? So he's going to get you ready slowly but surely going to the public in LDS Living Magazine for the divine revelation theory, the catalyst theory. And I, I fundamentally agree with Paul Osborne. This cotton picking theory is D-O-A. It's dead on arrival. And I don't mean anything disparagingly by saying cotton picking. I've had some people ask me about that. I, I need to stop saying it because it's an ingrained habit, but I don't mean anything disparagingly about that. So please forgive me for the habit. I will try to break it if it offends you. Here is where Mulstein psychologically gets people ready to move into the next phase, not of clarity, but yet again, another idiotic theory that's not going to hold water, right? And I, I seriously, I don't know whether the theory they can come up with after we clobber the catalyst theory, I have no idea where they're going to take it. I truly don't. I have no way of figuring that out. But wow, the catalyst theory is absolutely 
the most desperate one of all because sincerely it it has to ignore Joseph Smith entirely. It really does. So he says, Joseph Smith interacted with deity during this entire process, and it was that interaction that gave him the ability to produce the book of Abraham, something he wasn't capable of on his own. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I am so glad I'm not on his side these days. Holy shish kebab. So, and uh, da, 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 when we think about it carefully, shouldn't we expect that we won't fully understand any process that involves God because his methods exceed our understanding? Well, that's probably true, except for one problem. Joseph Smith left us his method. And I will demonstrate that fully on Tuesday, May 10th, on Mormon Stories. Sincerely. So, Molstein's non-sequitur, Molstein's red herring or even a straw man, is entirely irrelevant about whether God is higher than we are or whatever. That has nothing to do with it. But see, you see how he's carefully preparing the psychological aspect of this for the John Q. Public Mormon, right? Like I say, pap and pablum, faith promoting. There's no real, and this isn't that kind of a piece anyway. You can't get into the details when you're writing for LDS Living, right? This is all just to pat your heads and say, hang on to your testimonies. It's all okay. And it's really not all okay at all. And that's essentially what I wanted to say tonight. Um, I've gone on for a little under an hour. Uh, and that that's pretty much that pretty much covers what I wanted to what I wanted to say. Um, the interesting thing is when they the other thing that and and I know a lot of us have noticed this, and really truly it'll be, it'll surprise me if we all have it, but it's worth reiterating that the apologists are generalizing because it can produce a uh, a faith promoting narrative right that's how they're working this and so in the in the generalization articles for the broader audience because of course i mean youtube gets to hundreds of millions and the internet and so we can we can spell out the details, but whenever the apologists seek to give the details, uh, they never do so in and, and they get offended with this, and that's too bad because it is easy to demonstrate. The apologists, do not produce these incredible, cool theories that show 
that Joseph Smith's explanations match with the ancient Egyptian explanations and intentions in their religious worldview. Joseph Smith got it right. But you'll never see him publish that Mormon slant in the Journal of Near Eastern Studies or the Journal of Egyptian Archaeology or Chronique Egypte. They aren't going to use the actual scholarly journals that are fundamentally truly peer-reviewed. They never do. What they do is they've invented their own Mormon-based journals, Dan Peterson's interpreter. I mean, wasn't that the essence of farms? Isn't that the essence of fair, which I helped found, <laughs> right? I mean, that was the whole premise. Well, the world in their bias, they don't want to publish our excellent research, so we are going to publish it for our own people ourselves. The only people who follow this and accept it are already believing Mormons. Anybody else who really, truly, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but when we use critical thought. Now, when I say critical thought, I mean careful analysis. I mean the full context. I mean, we're going to, we're going to study not only the papyri on Mormon stories, exactly like I've been doing in my series here, Getting Clear on the Joseph Smith Papyri. I'm Stone Cold Series, you guys. We're also going to study all of the hieroglyphs. We're going to study the hieroglyphs out of the Egyptian alphabet. Then we're going to compare from the Egyptian alphabet how they utilize the hieroglyphics in the Egyptian grammar in order to propose a translation of ancient Egypt in the first two chapters, which is so far off of understanding that it, it's almost hilarious. But we want to show the entire process and the overall approach to the meanings that Joseph Smith gave the hieroglyphs and what aspect of the stories in the grammar and in the valuable discovery, which most Mormon apologists won't even talk about the valuable discovery notebook. I'm going to, because it's seriously significant. Dan Vogel has done so, because it's seriously significant. But that also has a contextual basis with uh, the alphabet. It also is part and parcel in the umbrella of the context of the entire papyri, including the translation in the book of Abraham. Two-thirds of the book of Abraham are simply a reworking of Genesis. Nobody in their right mind, nobody anywhere in the world, Mormon or non-Mormon alike, absolutely nobody in the world says there is any part of Genesis in the papyri. 
at all. And yet two-thirds of the book is simply copying Genesis. In other words, the book of Abraham is not a translation, <laughs> you know. It's kind of a conglomeration. Joseph Smith taking every idea he could from absolutely every single source he could and putting together his own special version. That's what we have. We're not trying to antagonize the Mormons in saying this. We want clarity, but we want it evidence-based clarity. And it's okay. At this point, for me personally, it's okay to entirely ignore the Mormon apologists because they don't want clarity. They're making their living, you guys, on keeping muddying the waters. We are going to purify those waters into crystal clear, delicious, drinkable, precious waters. That's what clarity will do. So that's that's all I wanted to say. Oh, thank you. 19 likes. There was some 50 of you here just a little while ago. Thank you for showing up. Uh, I, I really am sorry that I just did this off the cuff. I apologize. But this, uh, for those of you, you need to go back and watch, watch from the first. I just received my first LDS Living uh, magazine for May and June 2022, and Carrie Molstein had an article in it, and I wanted to be the very first one in all of the world to respond to this new apologetic faith-promoting material and to describe why I find it entirely erroneous and actually, I mean, seriously, at this point, it's borderline unethical to continue on with the narrative that simply has no Egyptological evidence and is historically fundamentally false. And I'm going to demonstrate that. I have been demonstrating that. I'm going to continue demonstrating that. I'll be here Sunday, 6 o'clock p.m., please. Come on over. I'll be sharing more of Paul Osborne's research. I'm going to share it on Mormon Stories on Tuesday. Bill Reel and RFM are sharing it on their Mormonism Live, one of the best podcasts on YouTube. So we are, Dan Vogel is sharing it in his magnificent materials. And he does have a new book in manuscript that he just turned in, he told me. So there's another new Vogel book coming out, hopefully this year. We'll see. We'll see how the printing process goes. So there are some exciting new uh, analysis coming out, and uh, you don't want to miss it. So, okay, you guys, I've been going about an hour. Hey, Burrow Bikes. Oh, darn it. Transitional old daddy. Oh, Scott Brandon. Welcome. Oh, Patty Cake. Good to see you, hon. Um, Huff Daddy. Michael Ray. Thank you. Lashroom32. I just wanted to do a quick say say a quick hello to all of you uh on this on this extra live session that I just threw out here but yeah I've talked I've talked for an hour I'm done so thank you appreciate all of you for showing up uh please do watch from the very beginning I know most of you missed the beginning but uh it'll give you the context for why I felt it was so important to do a Thursday night session live and I will see all of you hopefully Sunday and then next Tuesday, and we will continue on each and every Sunday. And I'm I'm gonna include. Uh, I'll bring in. I'll start bringing in more church history subjects. 
uh, I have I have done quite an extensive amount on the papyri. There is always more to do, and I will do that. But you know, there's been some people asking me about the Freemasonry ideas, which I think is an excellent idea to start talking about. There's been some who want to talk about the Nauvoo period or some of the more church history information with Oliver Cowdery. I know Paul Osborne has found some interesting things with the Delmarva Peninsula and the Book of Mormon geography. I will pursue that more. And and so we're I'm I'm gonna branch out. I'm not just stuck on Joseph Smith papriitis, but this really is the smoking gun. I, I can't say that enough. I'm not kidding. Don't let any Mormon apologist fool you. This is the smoking gun. And we can demonstrate that with the evidence in a very clear way. And I'm excited about that. So, okay, you guys. Hey, I love and appreciate all of you. I'm going to go. I've got I've got to prepare all kinds of stuff for Gerardo before Tuesday. And so I'm going to kind of put my notes all together. So thank you for joining me. You guys have a great night. Have a great rest of the week. Have a fantastic weekend. And I will see you Sunday night. See you guys later.